Jordan wins it again. Caught touchdown. Harden caught the ball. The Chiefs have won. The Chiefs have won. Kansas City wins the game. 25. 22. Welcome to the Mixed Pick Sports Show. Uh, I'm Rob. That's Steve. Steve Mickelson from Mixed Picks, 2Ks in Mix, 2Ks in Picks, MixPicks.com from Las Vegas. Good morning, Steve. Say that again, Steve. Good morning. There you are. Uh, all right, we had to throw a button on this side, you know, the power switch thing. Uh, we got an email right here at rad at radradio.com we want to start with. It's from uh, Taylor. You're going to love this email, Steve. It says, Robin, Steve, I absolutely love this sports show that you're doing every day. I hated having to wait to hear Steve's voice. I love this show because I'm a girl who is into sports, like, a lot. I love watching and attending football, baseball, hockey, golf, and NASCAR. But the one sport I have always struggled to get into is basketball. For some reason, listening to the show has piqued my interest in the sport, though, mostly because I hear the basketball news and I have no idea what you're talking about. And since I'm a woman and I have to know everything, I've started watching to try to stay on track with you guys, and I'm loving it. Thank you for making this a daily show and for all you guys do. Well, thank you, Taylor. That was great. I'd like to add to that. If she's starting to get into the basketball and wants to strength, one of the things I would suggest is go to a Sacramento Kings game. My wife used to struggle to watch basketball on TV and fully follow it and understand it. But once I started taking her to the games and she could sit and watch the games and see it in that arena and everything going on, even away from the ball, she started enjoying it a lot more. So that would be my suggestion is go watch some basketball live in person because that will help speed up that understanding of the game. And since she already likes going to events, um, she'll love going to a Kings game uh, if she's if she's in a sack uh, because uh, it's it's a, it is an electric environment, especially right now at at Golden One. Now this is not this is not in any way meant as a sexist statement, but I have noticed a trend with women. At my mom, my wife, other women that I've known, their problem with basketball is the squeaky shoe thing. Like when it's on TV, they like it, it drives mutts. My my wife is like, oh man, I just can't do it with the squeak because she'll she'll watch football with me and a variety of other events. But the squeaky shoe thing really gets to them. I haven't heard that. I, I mean, I notice it just like everyone else, but uh, that's one I have not heard. So uh, since since uh, Taylor wants to to talk basketball and learn more about it, uh, where where how high are you on Wembenyama? Yama, well, God, I hate that name um, because I mean it's re it's really being sold to us as this guy is the next big thing, and and I don't have any reason to argue with it. I mean, it, he's in the news again. He just had his second triple double, but the first with blocks. Um, you know, he's on a terrible Spurs team, but they've got to build around him with one of the best coaches of all time. I think he's an elite player. I already think he's a top 15 player in the NBA. If you sit wow. and you watch him. I, my hope is, you know, he's a big guy, so he's going to have feet problems, most likely back problems, because all big guys tend to have that. I'm hoping he can stay healthy, and I will think. I think in a couple of years he will be a top five player in the NBA. He is fun to watch, even on the terrible Spurs team. I mean, he is really fun to watch. A absolutely, I've found myself watching several Spurs games <laughs> this year just to watch him play. You know, ten blocks last night. I mean, that's an amazing feat. But you know what? If you watch this guy, it doesn't surprise you at all. Do you see the path forward for the Spurs to to build around him? I, I think with that, you're going to be able to possibly get some players that want to take a step up uh, and be part of that team. You know, we watched the Phoenix Suns. 
you know, who were decent, but then all of a sudden they got Monty Williams and this team started playing a lot better and became a much better team. So as long as they hit on their draft picks, you know, they, they need to get some good guard play there to be able to shoot from outside in order to take that pressure inside away from him. But Popovich to me is one of the greatest coaches of all time. I'm sure he's going to figure out a way how to make this team really good. And I love, I love that, 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 I mean, if you just look at the pass of time, if things go as we would expect, no major injuries to uh, Wembenyama and and Pop does what Pop does, what a great way to round out his legacy as one of the greatest coaches of all time to go all the way back down to the bottom of the barrel and build this team around a whole new superstar and hopefully get maybe as far as, as a championship run, if not a, a championship, and he says, okay, that's it, I'm out. It would be wonderful to see. I will tell you, I'm one of the people asking, why was he sticking around? I mean, this team was terrible. He had no real talent on the team, uh, you know, but again, he got one Bayana and now they're are relevant again. He's got to do the full rebuild, but I was one who was saying, why is he sticking around? Why not just walk away? You are one of the greatest coaches of all time, but this will be really fun to watch. Here's a painful segue, but he just made me think of it. We've been talking about are the Warriors on the decline and are they in full rebuild mode, which you have said mostly yes. And one of the questions was, will Steve Kerr stick around? And so when you're saying, you know, why did Pop stick around? It reminded me the Warriors are suddenly turning things around. Five-game winning streak. They're over 500 for the first time all season. Interesting take after last night's win. Draymond Green says it was because he got suspended. Not in like a braggadocious way, but he was out for 16 games. Curry agreed too that that without Draymond, it for, here's what Curry said, it forced us to try new things and get extremely uncomfortable at times and still not lose confidence, end quote. So I don't know if there's really a connection, but the Warriors are starting to feel themselves again. Yeah, the thing that I like watching is we're watching Kaminga get a lot more playing time. They're developing the rookies in Jackson Davis, who is doing well off the bench. And Podzemski, their number one pick out of Santa Clara, he's getting some playing time. So that's one of the things I like to see is they're starting to play their younger players. Let's see what they can do, not just stick with the old regime. You know, Steph Curry the other night, uh, the the <laughs> big shot is three point. Yeah. You know, there's what three point three seconds on the clock. Everyone knew it was going to Steph. How he's able to get open and get that shot off is amazing. But the fact that he made it to win that game, you just just tip your hat to Steph and say job well done. Yeah, Steph is still when he's on, and he still seems to be on a lot. He's still the Mahomes of the NBA. You know it's going to him, and you know he's going to get it in. Uh, it's, it's fun to watch. He, what was it, just a week ago, he scores 60. Um, so we got a couple games I wanted to talk about tonight, Steve. Try not to limp into the All-Star break. Uh, the Kings, uh, are they're, they're, they're on this rough road trip. They're going to be at the Phoenix Suns tonight. Yeah, the Kings, great win over the Nuggets at home yep. uh, Friday night, but then they backed it up with that clunker against OKC on Sunday it, This is a big game here. The Phoenix is struggling a little bit. That Steph Curry lost there um so you're looking at the the suns needing a win as well but the suns are healthy i mean it's going to be fun to see they're starting to get beal uh you know durant and uh booker on the court at the same time they're going out they're getting some size because that's one of the things they lack on this team sacramento though really a nice win here you're looking at the two 
But the thing to keep in mind here, Phoenix is 9-17-1 against the spread at home, Jeez. while the Kings have been a really good road team at 16-11-1, and the Kings are getting six points here. So hopefully it'll be a close game. But the, the Suns' price is always a little overinflated because people think they're a really good team. And those are things you got to take into consideration with that point spread. And you got the Pelicans, the Suns, the Kings, and the Mavericks are all within one game of each other right now. And you mentioned the, the big win against uh, Denver. And then the, the Kings have to go tomorrow night into Denver as, as well to round out their trip. The other game I, I was looking at for tonight, Steve, uh, the Heat are at Milwaukee. That looks like a good matchup. Yeah, Milwaukee's coming off a big win last night, so it's going to be interesting to see how they go on a a back-to-back. But keep in mind, Miami right now, Jimmy Butler's out for personal reasons. Uh, Duncan Robinson is questionable for this game. So Miami is going to be a little short-handed. But Milwaukee last night, a big game. Uh, Defense played well. Uh, Chris Middleton has missed the last couple of games. He was carted off in the second quarter, I think it was, like four games ago. So he is questionable to play. I'm not sure he's going to play in this game either. Uh, but the Bucks hopefully are turning it around with Doc Rivers, playing a little mm-hmm. bit better basketball. At least score-wise, it looks like they are playing better defense. And it looks like the players are buying in. So I think Milwaukee's you know, don't look at the record part because he's got to put his system in place and get the confidence from the players and the buy-in from the players. But it slowly looks like the Bucks are becoming a better defensive team, which to me only helps them when it comes playoff time. We're going to jump over to the Phoenix Open. This is golf. And a lot of times it, it gets forgotten for me, especially now, like this year, it wound up on the Super Bowl weekend. Uh, even though, you know, Saturday I was just sitting around working all day because I wanted to have Super Bowl Sunday with me. It's always been a raucous event. Uh, the Probably the most famous moment is still Tiger Woods nailing that hole-in-one on 15, which is the, like, party central. It's well known for for being a drunken fest. Uh, and they get, they get extraordinary numbers of people. In 2018, they set their record uh, at 216,000 people attending on Saturday. I mean, that is, that is an outlandish number of people at a golf course, and they haven't released any records since then in terms of attendance, but they're getting a lot of attention they don't want this year. Uh, if you're watching this on Rad TV, which you can always do, or you can always go back uh, and, and watch later at members.radradio.com, if you haven't seen the clips, there was rain, and for a while they had, they had a, a, an hour-and-a-half delay between round two and round three, and the only thing for people to do was drink, and they did. And there are endless videos up. They even stopped selling uh, alcohol for a while. Closed the gates. That was a weird thing that they've come out and said. And there's just a lot of people, Zach Johnson, uh, one of them, uh, who's coming out saying, this tournament has always been over the top and not in a good way. And we need to do something about this. Uh, some uh, This is from uh, Golf.com. A reporter said on Saturday at the Phoenix Open, I saw men bleeding from the face, people napping on muddy hills, and adults knocking each other over because they couldn't walk straight. These videos of a guy jumping in the sand trap uh, and doing sand angels. There are people that can't walk on the side of a hill. I'm not. And at one point when they closed the liquor stands, the fans are chanting, we want beer. I'm not here to ruin anybody's good time. This one seems like they went a step over the good, you know, the 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 line to where it's a bad look. And they are coming out now saying, "We're going to make changes. We don't know exactly what." I, I Steve, I I don't have a problem with people having a good time and even having a lot of adult beverages as long as they're doing so safely and responsibly. 
that was hard for me to watch, and I'm no prude when it comes to this stuff. Uh, the only thing I could really say is thank you, Happy Gilmore. I, I mean, <laughs> we talk about that movie, and this came to life. I mean, this is what we saw. Part of what I understand where the problems was is because of the rain and the sogginess, they couldn't have the people sitting in the bleachers because the bleachers were unsafe. Mm -hmm. So basically, they forced everybody to walk the course and be out on the course. And I'm sorry, when you're not keeping them contained and you're giving them free reign, along with the alcohol in a delay, bad things are going to happen. We watched it happen here. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. There's there's this this spot on, and I don't know which hole it was on because I watched so many of these various videos, but there's this spot by one of the holes where they have to walk basically on a side hill. And it got to the point, like if they're going from hole to hole or spectators are around, it got to a point where other spectators were were chanting as people tried to walk straight along this slope of the hill and they kept falling and and people and then they would get a big cheer. I'm surprised, I mean, that, that reporter mentioned uh, the bloody faces and stuff. I'm surprised there weren't more injuries like broken ankles and and things like that. But the other thing is, I don't want to take away from what the Phoenix Open is. This is what it's, I mean, Zach Johnson's being a bit of a prude I, I, because this is what the Phoenix Open is. Not this far, but this, this is what it's known for. And it's a quarter of a million people on a Saturday for a basically meaningless PGH tournament is pretty damn impressive. It, it, it is impressive. I, from reading up on it, my understanding is, is also they had to cut the tape because they, you know, they keep them confined on where they can go. But there was so many people that was unsafe. People were getting trampled that they had to cut the tape. And again, at that point, you're giving them pretty much free reign mm. of the golf course, which is why we probably saw the person doing the flip into the sand <laughs> trap. Uh, as a fan watching it and being a huge fan of Happy Gilmore, you know, the movie. I, I like the idea, but I understand it from the golfer's perspective. You know, that's not what golf's about. That's not how it should be played. But I think you also have to, the, the stars lined up here, soggy, a lot of rain, alcohol, the delay, so many people here. I mean, it play all played into the perfect storm. But, you know, my part is, is for a couple of these, you know, lighten up a little bit, yeah. you know, accept what it is. You, you know, I, I long time bowler, Rob, as you have, mm -hmm. and, and it used to drive me crazy when I'd see these bowlers and stuff. Oh, it's going to be quiet. Oh, it's going to be perfect. Look, I used to practice uh, open bowling with people on the lane next to me who would run up on me because mm -hmm. I needed to practice my concentration, no matter what would happen, I'm not going to lose focus. And I know some of the, you know, and I don't want to say they're spoiled, but they get the perfect conditions. I think sometimes you got to know how to adjust when the conditions aren't exactly perfect. That always pissed me off as a kid because I was bowling at like five years old. And so I'm watching bowling. I think it was on Wide Little Sports at the time on, on Saturday. And I was like, why do they get, why is it so quiet when they bowl? Because when I'm bowling, League or open, I'm hearing pins fall everywhere. People are partying. People are kids are running around, and and I never understood that. And and for the golfers, just then don't play the tournament. It's not like you don't know what the Phoenix Open is all about. Now, I, and I know I know two people personally well who have gone to the Phoenix Open. One of them, not really a golf fan, more of a I just want to experience life things, and he has the resources too. He loved it. He said it was electric. It was fun. 
uh, had a blast with a few of his buddies. The other person, golf fan, said it was the worst live event he had ever been to because it was so raucous. And, so, and this isn't this year. This was years ago. It was so raucous, so over the top. He said it was like a uh, like going to a, a, a frat party. Uh, and he just he, he came home totally disappointed in the, in the whole thing. And I think that's where that's kind of the, the gray area with the Phoenix Open. Yeah, the traditionalists who believe it's the respect of the golf and and the quiet and all of that versus the casual fan who just wants to go have a good time. But if you're a professional golfer, Rob, you know this. Just take that tournament off. Right. You, you know, move on to the next one if it bothers you. Nobody's hurt by it. It's not like you're contractually, you know, you're allowed to miss a few tournaments throughout the course of the year. You don't lose your PGA card. Just take that one off. Know it is what it is. And especially, you know, me as a fan, if I didn't like it, look, I'm getting to watch the Super Bowl this year. I'd rather take it <laughs> off and watch the Super Bowl. And players do that all the time. They skip tournaments because they don't like the course. Oh, this one's got too many dog leg lefts. That doesn't play to my game. Nope, I'll play the, the next weekend. So, yeah, I, I, and, and Zach Johnson wasn't the only one. He was the biggest name I saw. I was like, yeah, you're getting old or something there, Zach. Uh, you have to be getting tingly, Steve, because... We're getting oh so close to uh, spring training uh, and uh, and baseball, so we'll start to talk a little bit as we as we get closer. The big news in baseball, not just because he is who he is, but but because Shohei finally took batting practice uh, yesterday, first time since undergoing his second major right elbow surgery, and the reviews are amazing. I saw some of the coverage of it uh, yesterday because he hit. First of all, he's hitting home runs at a much quicker pace in batting practice than than most players do at this point in the season. His his uh, teammates on the Dodgers are already talking about this incredible work ethic that they see him have, and here he comes out first time uh, after his surgery. And it, there was one moment here where uh, he hit a he hit a home run over the wall in right center, and after the ball landed, the Dodgers hitting coach Robert Van Soyak asked Otani if he had gotten jammed on the pitch. And Otani turned back with a smile and said, yeah, a little bit. Um, this I, He can't pitch this year. You've said the whole time, this contract only makes sense if, if one, eventually not only that he can hit and he can pitch, but can he come back and give them 50 home runs or this type of production? This is a hell of a debut. Yeah, it is. But keep in mind, it is batting practice. It's not like he's facing, you know, live pitching in game situations. And I'm not knocking him. I mean, Otani is an incredible player. Uh, you know, his work ethic is there. You can see it. I, I believe he is one of the athletes. He's fully in tune with where he's at as a person and his career. Um, the fact that he deferred all the money to me was genius. <laughs> I think he's going to change the way contracts are negotiated going forward in every sport, not just professional baseball. And my understanding is this is from him. So he, he's an in extremely intelligent player who's aware of his surroundings. He knows what he's doing and, and prepares. Uh, I wish him all the best. You know, I just fall back to the this year, you know, $70 million to be a DH. Wow, that, that's a lot of money for a DH position. Well, that kind of brings us to the whole team. I mean, the New York Mets have taught us, many, many teams have taught us, the New York Mets most recently to my memory, just because you spend the most doesn't mean you're going to be the best team. And, you know, we start getting into the, the winners-losers yap about uh, the winter for baseball teams. And the Dodgers spent $1.2 billion this winter to get Otani, Yamamoto and Tyler Glasnow and a few others. And the question becomes, without Otani pitching, 
are the Dodgers with that $1.2 billion? I mean, look, it's not like the Dodgers are paying that money because they need to increase ticket sales or TV revenue. I mean, they're at the top of the food chain already with all of these things. They should be only doing it to win. Are are they the – for you, Steve, because, I mean, I, I, I would lean more towards the Braves for starters. That's first off the top of my head. But are the Dodgers the prohibitive favorite in the National League for you? I think they are the favorite. I don't think I say the prohibitive favorite. There's still a lot of questions with that starting staff. I mean, Dustin Mm -hmm. May is still out. Walker Bueller's not going to be there at the beginning of the season because they want to make sure that he's fully healthy when he comes back. Tyler Glass now, when he's healthy, is electric, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. You know, so you have that question there. Clayton Kershaw won't be back until the second half. They're not going to... push him to get there early because they want him healthy, you know, going into the postseason. So there's still a lot of questions with that starting staff, but their lineup is really good. The Braves though, on the other hand, this is a really good team. I'm not convinced that the Dodgers are head and shoulders ahead of the Braves. I would give them a slight nod over the Braves. You know, the Phillies continue to surprise. I I expected the Phillies last year to possibly take a step back after Uh, you know, losing in the World Series, but they had a solid year again last year. They have some good pitching on that staff as well. Um, You know, the Dodgers have spent the money, but I'm not saying that it's a landslide that they're going to be in the World Series. One of the teams that keeps coming up on the loser page when you you read these winner-loser articles is the San Francisco Giants for a couple reasons. They couldn't land any of these big names that they were that they were going after. They just couldn't get Otani or anyone else to take their money. Uh, they did get the Korean outfielder Young Ho Hoo Lee, um, and, and but they still have they. St- I'm trying to figure out what they're doing with their rotation. I mean, Blake Snell is still sitting out there. I don't know what the hell Blake Snell is doing. Cody Bellinger's out there. They did sign a Jorge Soler, uh, three years, forty-two million. He had thirty-six home runs last season. He's thirty-two. He also strikes out a ton. Uh, he's got in his 10-year career, how about 170 homers and 927 strikeouts in 870 games? I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like okay, better than nothing. But the Giants still seem like they're a little bit in in the midst of the nebula or something. Yeah, I think they're snake bit, and they can't get any of the top free agents to sign there. They've shown they want to spend the money. They just can't get anybody to sign on that dotted line that's healthy enough outside of Correa, who signed on it, but. You know, he didn't pass his physical. (laughs) Jorge Soler is going to come in. He's going to bat fourth. He's going to be their DH. He's not a very good outfielder when he does play the outfield. So he's going to be primarily a DH for that team. They're hoping he can add some pop in that ballpark, you know, at nights with the thick air. You know, I don't think he's going to be as productive as the Giants fans should hope he should be. Uh, But, you know, again, they're trying – they got the money to burn. They they want to sign someone, so they're willing to go out and spend it. And and they're giving a shot with Solaire, uh, with the the outfielder they brought in. There's a lot of comparisons to Ichiro, and you know what a great mm. comparison. If he could be anything close to that, 
this will be a steal for the Giants, but we got to see him play in the major leagues and and see if he can produce anywhere close to that level. Uh, we did get an email here, rad at radradio.com from Willie going back to the Phoenix Open. Uh, he says that Zach Johnson was mad because people were talking crap to him for messing up the Ryder Cup. Okay, I didn't see that. And maybe and maybe maybe Zach saying, well, they wouldn't be behaving this way if they were if they weren't so drunk. I don't know. But he's, then he says, conversely, Ricky Fowler, and I you see this every year. A few golfers do this. Ricky Fowler is not a prude. Uh, he was telling the crowd to get louder right before he putted, and and you see that especially on 15 a lot of the uh the fun players will will tell the crowd to go ahead be as loud as you want and watch me go ahead and hit this putt in that and that's the those are the fun players you want playing the phoenix open yeah i would have loved to have seen john daly during his heyday play of this <laughs> golf tournament he'd have been drinking with the players on the on yep. the side as he's walking from hole to hole uh we gave you a break in the a block uh, from a uh, football because it's been dominating everything uh, and it still is so we will get to it uh, all of the post super bowl stuff and already looking forward to next uh, season uh, right after this mix picks the mix pick sports show no surprise here, Steve, right to uh, your uh, your bailiwick. Uh, the Super Bowl set betting records at Nevada Sportsbooks. More than $185.5 million was bet. That's just at Nevada Sportsbooks. Most ever. Eclipsed the previous high in 2022 by over $6 million. The state's 182 sportsbooks. We were talking yesterday. The Chiefs, in their overtime win, uh, and then covering the spread, turned this thing completely around and the sports book squeaked out a 6.8 million dollar win on the game they had averaged a 13 and a half million dollar win on the previous four super bowls as you mentioned yesterday heavy action from the betting public on the chiefs and when you go across the nation with these 38 states having uh, legalized it now some some places uh fan duel geo comply i've never heard of geo comply uh, they're a firm that provides geolocation tracking on most of the legal betting in the u.s there you go they saw a 22% year-over-year increase for Super Bowl betting. Uh, America loves betting on their sports, man. Absolutely. And what GeoComply does, that's the service that checks your location to ensure that you are in the proper state. You know, like if you have a Nevada mobile app, you have to be within the state. Uh, GeoComply is the one verifying that you're placing your wager legally within the state. This is this is so that somebody in California can't download that app in Vegas and then come home and bet, basically. Correct. Um, so the uh, the Chiefs, uh, they're, they're, they're back-to-back. And, of course, that means chatter, especially with Andy Reid coming back, Travis Kelsey coming back. You already have Patrick Mahomes, the best player in the game right now. Chatter about a three-peat. And, and whether or not they could make history, Patrick Mahomes said, of course, it would be legendary. It's never happened in the NFL. So you start looking at the Chiefs. And, I mean, the, without thinking about it, I started to think about this weird offense that we saw all regular season. But then I realized that Chris Jones – is eligible to become a free agent. And and I want to go back to the Super Bowl, Steve, cuz and we want to play on Rad TV. This this the play this I, I heard this yesterday and I went, "You know what? That really is it." When the Niners were in overtime and it was third and 4 from the Kansas City 9. Chris Jones is the one that turned this game around. Because when you watch when you watch this play, you see that not only is Jennings wide open, but so is Ayuk in in the background. I think we have the the clip from the Super Bowl here. So th- this is the third and this is the third and uh, this is from the nine yard line, third and four, and Purdy does not have any time to get set. Ayuk's in the middle of the end zone. Jennings is in the corner. They were both open. I think Ayuk's the bigger story. 
I could have passed it to Ayuk if I would have had the time. That is That, to me, is the play that turned overtime around, and Chris Jones had a hell of a game, and they've got to figure out something to, to do with Chris Jones if they're going to make another run. Yeah, but keep in mind, I mean, Chris Jones held out at the beginning of the year. He wanted his money. He was not able to work out a long-term contract. Uh, he's not going to come cheap as a team yeah. experiences this success. These players want to be paid. You know, and, and when you watch that line blocking, the guard comes <laughs> you know, goes left to help out with the guy the center was blocking. Chris Jones came in. I I mean, you know, nobody blocked him. He had a free reign at Brock Purdy. Again, coaching. <laughs> How are they leaving Chris Jones unblocked in what is possibly the most critical play of the game? You leave their best defensive player unblocked. That, to me, again, falls on the coaching. You know, you just, it's amazing. Yes. If Purdy had the time, Jennings is wide open. Ayuk is wide open. They convert the touchdown. But again, it's why the game's played. Give credit to the Chiefs who were prepared, knew what they were doing. Chris Jones finds his way wide open. Nobody to block him. You know, is that a breakdown of the blocking scheme by the 49ers? Yes. You got to believe it is. But again, was it the, the the right guard's fault, or was that what was called and they just didn't pick it up? Which, again, goes to that coaching, being prepared, being able to adjust as you see things happen to put yourself in the best situation to succeed. And this is where it, it's getting more and more frustrating as a Niner fan because they had the right play call. I mean, that is, that is ridiculous that Purdy had two wide-open receivers that we can see. And that, to me, reinforces why you go for it on fourth and four. You clearly have – they all do, right? They have their plays. These are the plays when we need nine yards, when we need five yards. Just go for it and stick Mahomes down there if you don't get in inside the 10-yard line because it's at least more likely that, that you can stop him than – Never mind. We're repeating ourselves from yesterday, Steve. So back to the Chiefs. Do, I, so what I what I was what, as I said, my initial thought was they need a big play wide receiver uh, for for Mahomes. Um, what else stands out to you for so that they can first of all, do you think they can three peat? And if so, how do they do it? I think they can three peat if Andy Reid comes back and Patrick Mahomes stays healthy. I mean, you're, you're talking one of the all time greatest coaches in NFL history. And you have a quarterback who's at this stage in his career, you know, is in line to be mentioned as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I'm not going to annoy him now on his because way. he has to finish his career, but he's on his way. Those two things. Yeah. You got to say that I was happy with the way Rasheed Rice developed my concern going into the season and up through the midpoint was they didn't have you know, that quality step up number one wide receiver at really since, you know, Tyreek Hill left. If I'm Tyreek Hill, man, I'm bummed. You know, he wanted his money. The Chiefs knew they couldn't pay him. They traded him away. You know, maybe Tyreek shouldn't have asked quite as much money and maybe he could have been a part of this. And then if you put Tyreek Hill on that team, just think how good they would be because they've won two Super Bowls without him at this point. And for me, that's what I believe these players need to look at. You know, you're making millions of dollars. Is it about winning or is it about putting money in your bank account? And I think Tyreek Hill could be a great example because, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts, you know, saying stuff like, 
you know, he wishes he was a part of that Chiefs and this run that he's watching it from outside. Now, you mentioned uh, Andy Reid, and I think there's, I think, another kind of development here that both he and Mahomes might be thinking about. They might even be talking about it. They've got three, can and they can take a run at the Belichick-Brady thing, it, depending on how long Andy Reid wants to do this. I, I mean, that would mean Andy Reid would have to stick around into his early 70s. I don't know if he's willing to do that. And, and I'm not hearing him say anything like this, but there are a lot of people that are writing and screaming that, that look, it's not, this isn't about the salary cap. Bump Andy Reid up. He's got two years left on his contract. He makes $12 million a year, which means he's way behind Sean Payton, who's making $18 million a year. Harbaugh's making $16 million. I, and, and to me, this would be a moment for the Hunt family to go, hey, look, you're, you're now in the conversation too, Andy, for greatest of all time. Let's let, make Andy Reid the highest paid coach in the NFL. Yeah, you bump him to $20 million, and believe me, I'm not so sure he's going to even, you know, sit back and think about retiring at that point. He, he's got that possibility of moving into the Belichick, you know, type, you know, area with they can win a couple more. Just think if they win like, you know, four in a five year span, six in a what, eight year mm -hmm. span. I mean, you're talking, I think he surpasses Belichick if he's able to do that. And you know, the same with Patrick Mahomes. So I'd like to see him get paid. I think he deserves to be the highest paid coach in the NFL right now. Uh, and I think it would make it a lot more difficult for him to consider retiring. And then we can just replay. It can be Groundhog Day where we get all of the arguments over, was it Reed or was it Mahomes? Just like, was it Brady or was it Belichick? And then Mahomes will have to go play for another team and win there so that we can all say it was Mahomes and it just, everything will repeat itself. Where, uh, we're initially, I mean, we're going to have fun in the offseason with, with all of our various lists and stuff as sports wind down. I, I assume Belichick is still the greatest of all time. I, Andy Reid has got to be in the conversation. You got, I mean, if and with, with Steve, with the greatest coaches of all time, is it like quarterbacks? Is it the same level of it's all about the championships? And, and Or do we sometimes maybe adjust of, well, how much was that the coach and how much was that just the, the talent? Because you got Belichick. He's got, what, six uh, you got Chuck Knoll with four. Andy Reid now has three along with Bill Walsh and Joe Gibbs. I mean, Bill Walsh was like an innovator, plus I'm biased because of the Niners. Hallis and Shula and Lombardi and Landry. Where, initially, where do you, where do you plop Andy Reid? I think Andy Reid is starting to get into the conversation. I'm not moving him up in there, but you got to consider him in that top 10 to 15. I mean, you look at the Hallises and the Lombardis. <laughs> You know, Tom Landry to me was unbelievable. Chuck Knoll, he won it. Um, you know, the, the the coach that Bill Walsh to mm -hmm. me, and this goes into, I give him more credit than I give the other ones. And it's because I think Bill Walsh helped change the game. Yeah. Those are things that I look at. It's not necessarily the winning. It's why I consider Wayne Gretzky the greatest hockey player of all time. Uh, and for me, it's not even close because he took hockey when they didn't score. And it was all about fighting to scoring. I mean, he broke so many hockey records in his first like six, seven years in the league. He changed hockey to what we see today. Yes, we're seeing these players do what they do. We watched Babe Ruth change baseball entirely. He was out homering entire teams. So for me, that part where you just become the legend and really get mentioned in the greatest of all time, 
for me, it's that you had to have changed the game and the way the game's played to get there. And for me, Bill Walsh was that head coach who actually did change the NFL from that three yards and a pound of dust, you know, type of thing into the, look, we're going to pass first to set up our running game. He changed it. So for me, even though he may not have the wins and he may not have all these other things besides Super Bowl championships, to me, he is, man, I think he's got to be like top three or four mm -hmm. coaches of all time just based on that. I kind of had him around three because he was such an innovator. And he's almost in his own category uh, for all the things that you said. And by the way, a quick uh, sidebar, because we were talking about, you know, Belichick looks like he's going to wind up uh, not in the booth but in the studio, and we might finally get to see this personality uh, that uh, everybody talks about that we never get to see. Uh, Bill Walsh spoke at a broadcasting convention that I went to in my early 20s, and while his presentation was very droll, and I don't know if he'd had the speech written for him or not, his delivery, while not animated, was was hysterical. I mean, he was really funny, and he had all of us laughing, and, and when he got done, he stayed, and he talked to a bunch of us. He was a very affable, nice guy, or at least he came off that way in, in the one time that I got I got to meet him and it's always fun to see these guys out of their out of their their you know, their their domain yes and, and talking on Belichick I was reading an article that several NFL teams have already reached out to Belichick who currently have head coaches <laughs> in order to discuss with him the possibility of him coming and coaching for them next year and, and again wow. you got to be sitting there going the Cowboys the Eagles you know, the Raiders, you got to be looking at these teams going, you know, things go bad, Bill, you know, we're just kind of feeling out what kind of interest you might have to come coach for us. So is this a, an in case of emergency break glass thing where, where the teams, as you understand it, are inquiring of, hey, if we start slow, would you be interested? Or are they talking about, you want to talk about being here for summer camp? Uh, no, no, this would be a, we're starting slow. Okay. And, you know, by the at the end of next season or maybe in the middle of the, I don't think he'd make a move in the middle of the season because if he signs a contract to be in the booth, he's not going to do anything and, and walk off the set in week 10 or something like that. But I found it interesting that several of these owners are already reaching out to, you know, do you have a little interest here if things go south and not quite the way we're expecting you know, maybe we'd like to bring you in. I know there's there's chatter out there that, you know, without Brady and has has the game pass Belichick by, you can't let the greatest coach of all time sit on the sidelines if you have questions about your current situation or, or future situation. We'll take a break and be right back. Mix Picks, the Mix Picks Sports Show. Now we got this one, uh, and we were talking about the uh, the Phoenix Open, and Steve, you were the first one to make the connection. Uh, listener wrote in and said, the actor who played Shooter McGavin took to Twitter, now X, during the PGA craziness over the weekend and tweeted out, how am I supposed to putt with that going on? <laughs> so everybody was making uh, the connection. What is going on in Philadelphia? Everybody, this is just crossing, Steve. Everybody was, has been reporting for days that Hassan Reddick asked for a trade and that the Eagles, a source from the Eagles to multiple outlets, confirmed the team granted the edge rusher permission to seek a trade. And now Reddick's on Twitter X saying, I never asked for a trade. <laughs> what? It, it really makes you wonder because these things get out, you know, either by the team or the player to you know, try to get their side of the story out there sooner. Like, look, we're not going to be able to sign Reddick. We may have to ask him to take a pay cut or something like that. 
Uh, but again, you got to ask what's going on in Philadelphia. I mean, we saw the second half collapse. We now see them coming out and granting permission from a trade. And he's like, I never asked for it. You know, there, there's some stuff going on in Philadelphia behind the scenes that uh, is not a very good look. And then there's there was this. This is such a Cowboys storyline. This weird thing they have they have now hired Mike Zimmer, formerly of the Vikings, uh, to be their defensive coordinator. But the story was so riddled with drama, uh, and and so Cowboys asked the way that it played out. They there was a confirmation last week that Zimmer was expected to be hired. And then Sunday on the pregame show on ESPN before the Super Bowl, Rex Ryan, who we who interviewed or, or didn't or talked to them or didn't, we're not really sure about the job, he, he's on TV, said, no, uh, he said, I can honestly say uh, that's not a fact right now. And he did it right to Adam Schefter's face, who's reporting on it, kind of a, an awkward TV moment. And then on Monday yesterday, Schefter did recant the story in the sense that he walked back his report and clarified that Mike Zimmer's deal was not done yet. And then a few hours later, Zimmer's deal is is done. And that is just so and I guess it was all over just negotiation stuff. Uh, And I don't know if that's a bad look on Rex Ryan's part. Or, or if that was great reporting on his part, but it, it was just, it was so, when they were talking about it yesterday, I was like, I thought that was, I thought that was done. Yeah, the way I understand it is you had the Mike Zimmer part. They reached out, they talked to Rex Ryan. My understanding uh, from what I've researched on this is they loved Rex Ryan's interview. They then talked to Mike Zimmer and it came out that he was going to be hired. And this is after it had come out that Rex Ryan interviewed for the job. But then the Cowboys went back and talked to Rex Ryan again. I believe it was Dan Orlovsky who also reported that, hey, this isn't a done deal. Uh, As the media is expressing it, they talked to Rex Ryan again. And then they finally, you know, reached an agreement with Mike Zimmer to be the defensive coordinator. You don't know if it's one of those Zimmers looking for too much money. So they're like, look, we're not going to pay you that amount. Let's go back to Rex Ryan and Zimmer and his agent came back and said, okay, instead of this amount, we'll settle for this amount. So you don't know what caused it, but it, it from I've seen two different sources have said that they went back to Rex mm-hmm. Ryan after it had been announced to talk to Ryan about the position and then Zimmer and ended up ultimately getting it. And I, I, I would, I am absolutely certain in my mind that's exactly how it went because when Schefter clarified yesterday, and I mean Schefter has direct access to Rex Ryan, they're both there. You know, as Schefter's back in the studio, Ryan was uh, was at the Super Bowl, and and it, when it, or it might be vice versa. Either way, you know, Ryan's saying this on live TV where he's basically saying Schefter, Mister Reliable, is is wrong, and you know as well as I do, we're talking egos and broadcasting and Schefter's reputation. There were phone calls being made immediately between those two. And Schefter said when he, when he walked back the Zimmer signing yesterday, he said that the Cowboys reached out to Rex 15 minutes before the Schefter Ryan segment, which is so why that's why Rex Ryan dropped the bomb. According to Schefter, the Cowboys said to Rex Ryan, and he shot at this, then that's where the confusion came in live. And I, does that mean Rex Ryan didn't want the job? I don't know if it means Rex Ryan didn't want the job or if Zimmer was asking too much money and then he was willing to take a little bit less. Uh, but either way, the Cowboys were not fully sold on Mike Zimmer being the defensive coordinator that even 
as it was announced, he was going to become the defensive coordinator. They reached out to Rex Ryan again. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't know. Again, to me, though, bad look for the Cowboys. One, you, you probably need to keep this a little bit more in-house. Uh, but how can you be that uncertain on who you really want to bring in? Um, we talked last week that, you know, Tony Romo, whatever's happened to him, the shine is is off the ball uh, in, in the booth uh, we, we know that CBS pulled him in a couple of years ago, did an intervention with him basically and said, you're, you're, you're missing the mark and, and you're being too, you're focusing too much on comedy and stuff. Well, he was, uh, he was the color guy at the Super Bowl. Reviews are not good. Um, I can't say that watching the game as a Niner fan, I was paying enough attention in the moment. I, the, there was an egregious thing that is what, what we're going to play, but that, you know, he, he's singing, uh, as they're going to break, he's singing when they show Taylor Swift. He broke the cardinal rule of he brought up the streaker uh, and, and actually roped Jim Nance in at one point where Nance started to talk about it and stopped. And then Romo goes right to uh, pulling back the curtain. Oh, yeah, we can't talk about that, uh, can we, Jim? The thing that I noticed in the moment that really drove me nuts was the final call of the game. So, uh, I, and I, what I did, we queued, it up, we queued up two different versions. First, this is, this is, the, this is the call of just Jim Nance when the Chiefs won the game. You move to the second quarter, that's right, because I can only feel the number of people out there being like, what's going on? First and goal. Mahomes flings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! Now that, that, Jackpot Kansas City, that is the moment you shut up. You don't say a word. Even on, on radio, you let the cheers, if you're on TV, the visuals, the sound, the moment sink in. And Romo didn't even take a beat. You move to the second quarter, that's right, because I can only feel the number of people out there being like, what's going on? First and goal. Mahomes flings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! And this was the Andy Reid special. Oh. This was the Andy Reid special we talked about. He was saving all day. He's going to fake a motion to go across. And at that moment, he turns and goes back. Hartman, who they didn't have, right? And they go get Hartman and bring him back. And the game-winning drive of Mahomes' career, he's been waiting for. He's won Super Bowls, but he's never had it in an overtime. He is the best. He is the standard. When Michael Jordan wins it again. We already talked about the Michael Jordan line. That That is... And I don't know how many how many people realize how bad that is. Sports fans do. The whole time Romo's talking, if you're watching, you're getting all of the visuals, all of the emotion, the dejected 49ers player, Mike, uh, Kyle Shanahan, looking like his dog just died. The Chiefs players, over the moon. Taylor Swift, over the moon. Andy Reid, and he's yap, yap, yapping about something he can do later. And I just found that to be egregious. I understand what you're saying. Um, Am I being too broadcasty here? <laughs> well, you gotta, at least from my perspective, you, we have to fully understand that Romo, this is not his profession. It is now, but he wasn't brought up as a broadcaster. He was brought up as an athlete. And sometimes when you take these athletes and you throw them into these roles, you know, they don't have the experience. They don't have the knowledge of what, when they should be talking when they shouldn't be talking. My bitch with Romo is his first year. I thought he was outstanding. He was as good as any color man I've ever heard. Agreed. But as he got his big contract to me, 
and I could be wrong here. It's just my opinion. He stopped doing his homework. He stopped working at it. He took the paycheck, says, look, I will show up because all of his insight is gone. You see him making blunders of not being an experienced broadcaster. He doesn't know when he should be quiet. He doesn't know what he should be saying at the times. And he's making these mistakes of a person who really isn't very good at what they're doing because they don't really have the job knowledge. And that's the problem here is he's no longer giving that great insight as the ex-player studying the film and knowing what's coming up and explaining to us what the teams and coaches and quarterbacks are seeing. He's now just become an inexperienced broadcaster who really doesn't understand the do's and don'ts of broadcasting. He's regressing. It's it's just like his career. I mean, when he was a quarterback, he was going to be the next big thing. And then every time they got to the playoffs, he would drop a football or he would not punch it in. And I don't. I, I, I understand what you're saying, that he, he wasn't brought up as a broadcaster. He's been doing this for years now. How is it that the, where in the CBS management have they not taught him shut up? How has Jim Nance not said to him, hey, buddy, you know, uh, when, we hit a, when we hit a moment, we got to let it breathe. We got to let – and I, that's the thing that if, – if this was Tom Brady next year, first year in the booth, I would have a lot more – first of all, I don't think Brady would commit such a, a, a mistake – but I would be like, well, look, he is still learning. Romo's been doing this long enough. So if somebody, he either should have been taught or, or he should have been told or he should know better. That's all. I, I, I agree with you. He has been doing this long enough. But to me, it falls into his pure speculation, his lack of studying, his lack of wanting to get better at it, his lack of putting in the work to be the greatest at it. I view him as he's just coasting. He's collecting a paycheck. He shows up. He does the job that he's supposed to do. And, you know, to him, it doesn't really necessarily matter, you know, learning these intricacies of the job that he's doing. And for me, man, I would be looking to move him out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're getting a few emails about this, but we're out of time, so I'll save them. I promise we'll uh, revisit this tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. See you then, Steve. Thank you. Mix. Sports Show.